You're listening to Almost Diplomatic, DC-based podcast that discusses geopolitics, national security, a whole bunch of nonsense over beers. And as a disclaimer, the views and comments made during this episode are those of the participants and do not represent any entity that they volunteer with or are employed by. Enjoy! Hey everybody, welcome to Almost Diplomatic. I'm your host, Ryan Young, and joining me today is... Lex Cardone, Kevin, Robert Thomas, and we're recording on July 28, 2020. So back to no last names. Cool, cool, cool. But uh, nice. yeah. Kevin's like he's one of those celebrities who only has a first name. Yeah, <laughs> McLovin. He's, he's our Madonna. Yeah, McLovin. <laughs> it was between that or Muhammad. <laughs> uh, so... It's, uh, it's year three in the pandemic, and uh, we're on Skype again. <laughs> year three easy. of phase 12 of uh, era 13 of the pandemic. Well, apparently it's going, apparently we're going back up in DMV, which is not fun. But, I mean, we started opening some of it, so it's kind of expected. DC's doing better than Virginia and Maryland, though. Which are, in turn, doing better than uh, certain other parts of the country, which I shall not name. Wuhan, well, Miami. Yeah, I, I was curious about that because, I mean, d- the D.C. and Maryland numbers must take into a, account the entire state, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's literally just us, and there's not much. There's not, like, a D.C. suburb statistic, or are there? I don't know. I mean, right Virginia tracks counties separately. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why they made a determination earlier in all this mess to keep uh, – some of the northern Virginia counties around D.C. on a different phase of yeah. precautions than the other uh, portions of the of the Commonwealth. So, yeah, because I know it's been cooling off a bit in northern Virginia, but it's still bad in like Virginia Beach and that area. Yeah, I went to, I went to Falls Church today, and people walking on Home Depot without wearing a mask. It was awesome. I loved it so much. Sounds phenomenal. Lovely. It's like you're ruining for everyone else. Stop. Good God. I just want things to like, go back to everyone normal. Everyone wants to reopen. Again. Everyone wants to get back to normal. But, like, just got to suck it up and do this. Oh. And deal with it. Yeah, refusing to wear masks definitely does not help us get back to anything resembling normal any faster. And you Although, know speaking who... of masks... <laughs> one of the most iconic characters to wear one that you during this season, Dark... <laughs> Which leads us to our topic, so that we don't keep talking about COVID for two hours. I mean, whatever. Oh so yeah, we're doing Star Wars kind of tonight. Um, but before that, as per usual, what's everybody drinking? Kevin, I know you're going without tonight. Good on you. I had some iced tea. Okay. That's Lexer. Yeah. <laughs> Lexer, Kevin. It's still stronger than what Mormons would drink, so you're still on the, um, on the scale. Uh, I'm drinking um, Bib and Tucker six-year bourbon. Um, it's, uh, yeah, got, which is ambitious for a Tuesday, let alone a Tuesday, a couple days after my 30th birthday when I said I was going on a cleanse for um, the week. But uh, you, you enablers just kind of came into play, and then here we are. Cheers. Before well, the end it- of the night, he'll have a broken hip. It'll be terrible. <laughs> well, no, I ate my prunes earlier. Rob, I took your advice, and I, I, you know, I've got my my prune juice. It's in little like, um, you know, those old people pill things, 
pill dispensers. <laughs> they Tuesday, Wednesday. It's, it's the Monday morning, Tuesday or Monday morning, Monday afternoon. Now Tuesday that you're morning. elderly like the rest of us. Yeah. So yeah. I have I have one of those. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I need to help you pull it up when you're not also looking. 30, yeah, it's just like why is there always extra pills in here? This is really weird. Oh well, I just forgot because I'm old. What? <laughs> and uh, Rob, what are you partaking in tonight? Uh, I am drinking a Malbec from Argentina, which has a lovely image on the bottle if you can see it all in the camera of the what i assume is the uh vineyard itself by the yeah uh, andean mountain range so oh, it's pretty tasty yeah. and um i'm drinking vanish farm for vanish farmwoods brewery uh ghost fleet oh i drank this for the um event we did last week nice. it's uh it's, it's really good i actually really like it i would highly recommend Where's it so it's all uh, Leesburg. Nice. Virginia. Nice. Yeah. So, like I said, I kind of mentioned, is we're kind of doing Star Wars. We're really kind of looking at it, things through a certain lens. But it's really based on one statement in itself. The Empire did nothing wrong. <laughs> Which... A, a favorite trope of the interwebs. Yeah, it's 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 but it's like it, it really it's like oh, the Empire did nothing wrong except you know genocide, slavery, destroying a planet, torture, that kind of stuff. But hey, you know it's like what is what is wrong really? At I mean, least they had very nice, clean, sterile uniforms, right? Yeah, but they got beaten by the Ewoks, aka cuddly VC. Uh, so. No, I mean, sort of the inspiration for this topic as we were talking about it is what started as basically a, a tongue-in-cheek uh, cliche on the internet about uh, the Empire actually being the good guys and, and the rebels being the bad guys. But there are certain bits of commentary that you can find online that seem to veer towards people taking that at least somewhat seriously. Um, so, I mean, you have people sort of genuinely on on some occasions talk about, well, I mean, if you stop and think about it, the Empire is a, a beacon of order, stability in a, in a chaotic galaxy. Uh, and some of these folks will point to broader uh, trivia from the Star Wars universe that's been built out in, in other media uh, and really kind of paint it as a, a necessary thing. And again, a lot of this started with tongue-in-cheek commentary, but it, it does seem like at least some subsets of people have sort of taken that seriously. And as as we talked about it, it it's, I think, representative of an interesting perspective to talk about. Yeah, it, it definitely is. I think, but we gotta highlight some of the nonsense first because, like, it is most of it's nonsensical. There's a subreddit on it. It was Empire did nothing wrong. It's like in their their descriptions. Here we honor the, those brave men and women that died fighting the rebel scum. There's also this, this one question. Someone goes into this form, this this subreddit, and goes, "Do you guys actually think the Empire did nothing wrong? And if if not, why must you role play on every Star Wars sub out there? Seriously, I can't have a discussion anywhere about being told." being called a terrorist or someone tell me that Jeddah was destroyed in a mining accident. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> yeah, for the record, gets in, to case, in case it wasn't already clear, like you've already presumably got a certain tolerance for nerdy discussions if you're listening to any piece of this podcast to begin with. But this is going oh, to be on a particularly overdose. extreme end of the scale. Yeah, but it gets it kind of gets to a serious subject. Like, at what point is it? joking and whatever and at what point like a lot of this i mean the, the theory behind the per, what one of the legitimate theories behind what QAnon is it's somebody just having like basically larping as and just like trolling the entire world at what point is it just good like good-natured fun and at what point is it um potentially destructive so um, kevin so one of the one of the things that so the empire in Star Wars very much draws on and is almost explicitly based off of the Nazis in Germany. Um, that's actually been said, I believe, by uh, what's his name by George Lucas uh, with the yeah. everything some, some from small the, guy you may have heard. Yeah, you're the guy who created Star Wars. So he designed Scrooge the empire. Yeah, he designed the, <laughs> he designed the empire very much with that you know crisp, clean, sterile portrayal that the Nazis also put out, or even the Soviets as well, you know, particularly uh, under Stalin, you know, this like clean, you know, orderly, you know, everything is, we control everything, all is good, when realistically, right below the surface, there was corruption, incompetence, and massive amounts of well, corruption and incompetence, and the system didn't work as well as it portrayed itself. And that's really one of the trappings of an authoritarian system is it may look great out to, from the external side, and that's actually part of the system, is to make itself look great. But on the inside, it's actually it can be decadent and corrupt, and have yeah, like, just many problems as a democracy. Well, and and to be clear, although the the Nazis are a particularly explicit example of a pretty obvious villain that the Galactic Empire was modeled off of, there are also aspects of it that that tie in other uh, authoritarian imperial systems in history. And I think that's, that's pertinent to the conversation too. I I mean, there are aspects of it and I may be stepping on a few toes here uh, that aspects of both the galactic empire and the ways that people who sometimes talk in, in these terms about, was it really so bad? Um, has has reminiscence to the way people talk about the Roman Empire or the British Empire, which I think is something that's worth unpacking a bit and, and that connects both to things that you just mentioned, Kevin, as well as to some other threads about, well, what's really the history of these of these regimes and why do people apply a certain kind of nostalgia or apologism to them? Yeah, just to jump in and kind of build off on a very, very surface level what Kevin was talking about. There are stories of people visiting Berlin in 1936 for the Olympics and writing home and being so impressed by the uniform culture that they have over there. Even the bus drivers had uh, uniforms that looked like, you know, spick and span, military, jackboots, all that stuff. And so even at the time, there were sort of surface level almost fetishists, you could say, um, of that kind of rigid, ordered, sterile mentality, you know, broken windows, no broken windows, no graffiti, no nothing kind of thing. So it's, it's worth taking 
into account from a, you know, and that's a, obviously a very surface level um, observation, but that goes, that kind of goes throughout the entire um, examination of both our, the Nazi, Nazi Germany, and as you said, Rob, the Romans, the British Empire, going all the way back, back through antiquity. So, I mean, I think a, a good thing to dig into here is, so why is that sort of imagery uh, and that sort of self-presentation by authoritarian regimes, whether we see it in fiction or in history, why is that appealing to certain people in the way that it is? And appealing to people who may not consider themselves to be authoritarian. Like, what is it that sort of aesthetically pops ab out about something like nostalgia about the Roman Empire or about the Galactic Empire as, well, we like this better than the alternative? Well, yeah. so what came before and after and comparatively to a lot of these things can be described as, well, you know, progressive and cultural and um, sort of, or and, you know, I, I think on a deep psychological level people appreciate order and you know um that kind of mentality so and I, I don't know maybe that maybe that's that kind of plays into it but yeah i think it's, it's stuff that it strives around like greater good and morally justified and law and order is kind of like what the, the principles like what the, the people who used to like defend the empire like in, in like subreddits or whatever or just like or, or just in the actual movies and that kind of stuff why they're a part of it you know, so it really looks at those aspects and how they sort of move along, and then and, and you you, it's just like well, there there. I mean, it was it what they did was really wrong, but it was for the greater good. And you're like, but they genocide the planet. Well, it's like yeah, put down rebellion. It's all about you know, trading. Well, and, and this is yeah. I mean, Genghis, the... there's a lot. Oh oh, I was gonna, yeah. I mean. That's that's something that the imperial and more broadly imperial or authoritarian regimes in general do is they portray themselves in that way and push you know a narrative like that because they won because those rebels were defeated they you know it's history is written by the victors in many senses and so the Romans wrote a lot of the history so we we get a more positive view of Rome because a lot of the history is coming from Roman perspectives. Similarly, you have that with the British Empire. You know, British historians are very well known for writing histories and, you know, really driving the early archaeological movement in doing ancient history as well. And, yeah, I think there's also been um, another thing we haven't discussed yet is um, there's been a lot of recent historiography on the Mongol Empire. And I think a lot of legitimate, very groundbreaking, um, very interesting about how it's, it's, it was, the, you know, this link between East, and this, not all of this is new, but this link between East and West, this incredible administrative system that they developed, this, you know, network of, you know, postage and all that. Um, and it was also built on the ruins of multiple city i mean you had something like a third of persia wiped out i don't know R rob you can probably speak it but like i i there's this, i don't think th th many people have the stats of the 
mass casualty yeah. count of the Mongol Empire memorized in, in detail, big. given how extensive <laughs> they were. It's high. But they did, it did such extraordinary things, and it brought, I mean, in addition to plague, but, well, that's not, not their fault. They didn't understand germ theory. Um, <laughs> they didn't wear masks. I don't know. Um, <laughs> well, well and it, it, sorry. it's actually sorry. interesting. Uh, current it, moments there. It's actually interesting yeah. <laughs> that, that the Mongols are actually, you know, their transgressions, for instance, the, the, the pyramids of skulls are often portrayed, at least in, in the way we're taught about the Mongols, whereas the, the actual Mongol Empire and, you know, successor kingdoms lasted for hundreds of years. I mean, many places, the leaders up until the 19th century, maybe even 20th century, were Khans based off of, you know, the Mongol influence. Yeah, well, based on that system, I mean, it very, it very quickly broke down and there were successor kingdoms and all that. So it wasn't all just monochromatic and great, according to the order sterile mindset. But yeah, no, there were a lot of very positive things that were brought um, into civilization because of a bunch of nomads who decided to create something extraordinary. Um, but I, So, I, th I mean, I think the, the way that the the legacy of the mongolian empire has often been perceived and portrayed differently from say the romans um and and i think the romans are very much of a piece of some of the uh, apologetics uh joking or sincere about the galactic empire of star wars here uh is is tied to certain kinds of cultural concepts of order and civilization sedentary versus nomadic is that that well that that we, being we, part we, of we it but episode. i but i think i think specifically i mean there, there's a certain sort of way of thinking about these things that is highly hierarchical centralized sedentary being part of it um there may be some ethnic elements in play in some of these conversations yeah. white, but i mean there, there's white. yeah i mean there's there's a like China. when you look at the but when you look at the uh at the roman example i mean part of what the roman empire is sort of juxtaposed against is this period of increasingly disruptive uh, civil strife and violence within the Roman Republic in the generations leading up to Julius Caesar and then uh, the aftermath of, of his assassination. But another part of what the Roman Empire is juxtaposed against are these uh, so-called barbarians that were around it that the Roman Empire uh, either subjugated or walled itself off from like the the uh, people of Gaul who were uh, in the the Celtic cultural and linguistic sphere and I mean I am I am no uh, fan of of Rousseau and his pretty screwed up noble savage uh, motif. <laughs> Uh, for thinking about uh, the idyllic nature of uh, cultures that 
that weren't considered civilized. There are a lot of things to unpack about what's going on there. Um, many of them very disturbing. Um, yeah. But so, so I, I'm not in any way inclined to project something like that onto the people of, of Gaul before Julius Caesar's conquest, for example. Hmm. Uh, however, which was as savage as anything you can imagine from the Mongols, I would argue. But right, right. I mean, you you can raise plenty of very serious criticisms of of what we know of the practices uh, politically, religiously, uh, culturally of the Gauls about things like human sacrifice. Um, well, I, I meant the I rights meant of, of, of minorities, etc. But but when you talk about the yeah. Roman conquest um, yeah. and Roman practices more generally in many areas, yeah. if, if you want to talk in terms of um, attitudes towards violence or personal autonomy um, or, or other moral dimensions like that, it's not totally clear that the Romans were any more morally civilized than the people of Gaul, even though they had more sophisticated cities uh, and economic institutions. Uh, but there, there was at the time and still is sort of this juxtaposition of Rome as this, the beacon of civilization, order, stability against these these savages out there and this idea of the kind of fetishization of order and stability and that began really early right in the dark ages there wasn't much you know obviously but a lot of these monks were writing about you know riding by these great ruins and these you know cement buildings and while they lived in you know, thatch roof huts, essentially saying, why can't, what happened to us that we can't build this anymore? Um, what great people, like, why could these great people fall upon, or why could this great empire fall kind of thing? And um, you, you get to thinking that the sort of, the grass is greener, the sort of, uh, the same way a lot of people think about the 1950s nowadays, um, that kind of comes that came into play very early there and it comes into play constantly um in our in our culture so and that's not to say that there weren't genuine advances and and benefits oh, absolutely. technologically and otherwise of any number of imperial states over time whether you're and when you're about and, the Romans yeah, and when you're living British in British or otherwise but to to sort of treat it all as, as one lump sum, one monolith right. of there's a package deal and, um, oh, well, you, you get indoor plumbing in exchange for some genocide here and there. Um, yeah. It's a and pretty bizarre and perverse way to think about things. Yeah, and there's a, you know, there's benefits and drawbacks to any situation. Like, I'm sure this sort of, anarchist fantasy that was dark age britain where you didn't pay you know you lived in a, a bunch of feudal it's called, it's society it's called but you never paid taxes or you know libertarians all that good stuff you know uh, yeah there's there's benefits and drawbacks to any situation and i'm sure you in anyone with 2020 vision can see that that but you know hindsight is 2020 so well okay. well going going back to the reality, you know, of the historical record is like Rome is often portrayed as this the center of stability, 
and and maybe maybe in some sense like the because the romans conquered the you know the whole mediterranean periphery uh and exported their culture or maybe because their culture was was such that it it was able to incorporate or in assimilate rather many of these different peoples maybe that's part of the reason because realistically the roman empire itself was incredibly unstable they went through long stretches of civil wars i mean you had the crisis of the third century where there were three separate roman senates i think you know three yeah. separate states fighting each other for the there's title a meme of, for that i'm sure there's a meme <laughs> and there <laughs> and then and that extended into the byzantine period that extended into you know so well, that's the periods other thing. of periods of you know disillusion and revival and disillusion and revival and uh, and, and so it yeah. goes. Well, but I mean, Kevin, this this takes us to something that uh, that I, I think you pointed to earlier um, and in a bit in some of our discussion prior to recording about perception versus reality, uh, and and I think that holds in the case of real-world historical empires and of the galactic empire in Star Wars 2, particularly as played out in, in uh, some of some of what we've seen in, in other aspects of uh, more recent films, aside from aside from the sequel trilogy, which we will uh, avoid talking about. That's that's post-galactic empire anyway. But but sort of okay, there's this shiny surface that is carefully cultivated and portrayed to domestic consumers and outside audiences uh, in various ways what is the reality underneath and often it's messier and less orderly and quite a bit less seemly sometimes in institutional ways that are uh, still organized but abhorrent like the fact that both the Roman Empire and the Galactic Empire were uh, deeply rooted in systematic slavery, um, or things that are more mundane and banal, in terms of the petty corruption that you see. Yeah, and and this is this is actually why I think Solo, in many senses, adds a lot to what we don't see in the original trilogy of the Empire. We always saw them as you know the the towering evil, but, you know, obvious, like, obviously very, very sterile and very powerful and overwhelming. And they, they're beat by these ragtag, you know, freedom fighting rebels, you know, maybe a historic, maybe a, a historical analogy is the, the founding fathers or the, the revolutionary war. But realistically, I, what I really like about Solo is you see in the beginning the uh, Han Solo pays a bribe to, you know, essentially bribes this imperial officer at the at the gate to get through. And then throughout that film, you see the Imperials are actually, in many senses, like the they're like regional governors are working with crime and criminal syndicates, and uh, the, the, it, it shows the level of corruption and competition within a system that is very rarely actually seen. Uh, and and one one yeah. last point, yeah. yeah go ahead, Lex. Sorry. No, and it's it's just it's it's funny you say that because I was thinking the same thing. Like in the the when you watch the original trilogy, the picture you get is you know, and then you 
it's this complete, you know, monochromatic order, all that stuff. And then you watch the prequels and you see the decline of the Republic, so to speak. And, you know, a, 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 a nearly power, a fractional, powerless government um, with a lot of different, you know, levels of corruption and organized crime. And you have the, uh, what I like to call the space, uh, the Galactic East India Company. Uh, running around holding planets hostage and with their own private armies and you know and it's you you juxtapose that with the empire and on the surface that looks pretty good but what solo brought and what and you know wasn't marketed whatever it wasn't appreciated maybe someday it will but um what that brought to the table was the fact that one day one day it'll be the cult film of the star wars (laughs) but um what that brought, I think, was a sort of appreciation appreciation of the un- the ugly underbelly of the you know Imperial March, you know Star Destroyer fleets, all that stuff. Yeah. This is what really kept things going beneath the veneer. Yeah, I it, I mean, real world examples are the same way. I mean, you, I think the average person who gets introduced to the Roman Empire in school and gets a cursory overview, sees... Oh, that's cool. (laughs) Yeah, they see shining imperial standards and marble monumental construction and hear about indoor plumbing and aqueducts, and they don't hear about the incessant pieces of civil strife or the mass reliance of the economy on slavery or the absurd levels of petty banal corruption among regional governors and subaltern officials or about the just absurd sometimes like soap operatic personal intrigues of political and bureaucratic figures with everything from uh religious scandals to sexual peccadilloes to uh just feuds for the sake of having feuds which are just as much a part of the roman empire as anything else sounds like i'm just reading the front page every day yeah well Well, funny how that works (laughs) (laughs) it's like so i've been to rome and like you go there like this is amazing these people have done all these great things to build it's like oh what right slave labor shit well so what what Rob brought up, and I, I brought this up a little bit in the earlier conversation, is there's these in these big empires, you end up with a political class, you know, who engage in a lot more. Like they, there's this term that was used to describe sort of people of the Russian state, particularly in the Soviet era, but also extending beyond that, uh, of you know people who become part of the system, but also engage in this petty corruption. Um, and are apologists for the state, but also carve out their own sphere. And really, in in Star Wars, you you see that in in many of these officers who are essentially competing with one another. And Darth Vader may particularly exemplify this as a not a bad leader who also can't tolerate failure from anyone, so he chokes them to death. And obviously, everyone's really scared of him, scared to screw up. But that doesn't mean they're not going to screw up. It just means they're not going to learn from their failures and and you end up with with these competing byzantine system of corrupt officials working within the system but also full of shit so so if i'm not ch- choke on your aspirations kevin 
Uh, stop making so, that noise again. Yeah, yeah. Let's <laughs> let's not. Uh, but but that actually kind of makes me think of something that that we didn't really discuss before this episode. That's an interesting aspect of a lot of a lot of people's views on these topics, which is the what if factor. So in Star Wars, um, for folks who have watched or read material beyond the uh, big picture films, there's uh, a a particular antagonist who uh, is very popular in in many circles, Grand Admiral Thrawn, who is a fascinating character who came out of some of the the novels that spun off of Star Wars and eventually uh, ended up in some of the, the TV series material, who's this brilliant military strategist and tactician, um, deep thinker who's who's engaged in psychology and, and art history and, and all of these fields and, and applies insights from that to his leadership. And, and he has a, a sort of character as someone who can be a ruthless leader, but is a genuine leader focused on cultivating and positioning subordinates and helping them learn and so you'll see people who will kind of talk about if only that guy had been in charge then it would have been so great and you'll see the same thing with historical regimes too of someone will pick out a figure from from roman history for example sometimes and say ah if that person had become emperor or if this emperor had had this person uh in their inner circle then it would have been so grand and glorious. And so there's this interesting sort of way of projecting a it's an idealization on top of an idealization through that what if yeah. exercise around particular personality. If only this authoritarian power had come under this Roman emperor, this, you know, prime minister or if, whoever. If, well, if only the if only the emperor had invested in a fleet of star destroyers in instead of a giant, you know, ball no, that went. Boom. Invest invest the Tide Defender program. They say I'm a oh. superior fighter. Um, but like, yeah, no, like, Thrawn, like Thrawn, like in the books, is very much like you know. There's there's parts of it where he's like fighting pirates and that kind of stuff. That's what their mission is. The kind of deal with that kind of. So it's like the the. That's why I see a lot of characters in like in the, especially in the the written books and stuff, who are part of the Empire, and they're just like, yeah, well, the Empire was a lot of things, and I thought it was good, and I guess it wasn't, but we still did. We were doing a lot of good things until. It got to the point where we weren't, and they're also they're always their comment is like, they go to the they go to the um the rebels from the, the New Republic, and they're always kind of like, these people are fucking idiots. Like they can't do anything right. Their their tactics are more. How do they beat us? I don't understand. It's just like blind luck and like, you know, um, plot shield, <laughs> plot armor. <laughs> yeah, plot armor. That's what I was looking for. But I, but I mean the best thing I was going so I was going through the the site or the Reddit uh, subreddit for Empire did nothing wrong. The funniest thing I saw also saw besides the um, the Jedi thing was Osama bin Kenobi. <laughs> Just like someone had to do it. <laughs> yeah, someone it was did. inevitable. It's like it's like and going through is like most people were pretty nonchalant about it, but those people were kind of really about. It. Let's 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 come back to talk about a little bit people really kind of grasping onto this authoritarian idealism because like they kind of really have been like this is great we just, wait till you, just wait till you discover the 40k 
Warhammer 40k crowd. <laughs> uh, yeah. So what? yeah. Can we can we not? I don't know if I have the amount of alcohol I need to get through that one. I, it, is the, the guy I literally have no world. idea what you're talking about, so <laughs> it, it is it is a whole universe of tabletop role playing stuff that I am peripherally aware of enough to know that I do not have the time or <laughs> no. fortitude to get anywhere near it. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to say the say the least. But I mean like what do you think are the reason people are really getting like why do people like like the Empire? Besides that it's kinda of funny. I think it's funny for the most part. But it's also don't take it too seriously that like, you know, saying authoritarian regimes are cool because I think the difference is I think a lot of people is like us who are uh, you know all brilliant smart people that we are, but uh, but you also know how to wear masks. Yeah, we know how to wear masks and uh, have studied history and international relations. Have kind of like looked at it and been like, oh, so I kind of feel like bad. But yeah, the empire did nothing wrong except you know it's really close to this this part of history or this thing. These people who did this stuff, so it's not really cool in the actual aspect. Like I had the T-shirt because I thought it was the most offensive Star Wars thing I could get. Yeah. And- I- Well, just I I think part of it is is an aesthetic thing. I mean, I I think it's really easy to underestimate how much aesthetics shapes how people think about political, moral and cultural topics, because we, we think about aesthetics as, oh, this is this theoretical thing that fancy educated people who are going to art museums talk about. But no, like aesthetics, what people consider attractive and what people consider unattractive and why it runs through the the human experience and psyche, whether or not people are using four syllable words uh, that they learned for their SAT or GRE prep to talk about it. Uh, That's something that's pretty basic to the human experience, even if the ways that we talk about it are sometimes very removed from how most people talk. And I, I think really there is an aesthetic dimension of there is this shiny, gleamy, clean, orderly thing that I see that makes the world look and feel stable and safe. At least if I am on the right side and that's attractive to me. I think that's a, a big part of it. But I also think that there is still an us versus them aspect. And even if you're looking at something fictional or something that's in history many, many generations back, you see a conflict that has an us versus them dynamic. It's very easy for people to start projecting themselves onto one party or another. Who's the us? Who's the them? Even even though I'm not really there. And I mean, you look at the at the American Revolution, for example, we as we as Americans are prone to think of ourselves as kind of identifying with our revolutionary forebears who founded the country. But there are people who in some ways do sometimes look back at that and and look the other way and they they pivot on that us versus them question and i've i've heard <laughs> i have heard people uh who are who are native born americans 
um, who start engaging in apologetics for the British Empire at that time in very similar ways to what I've heard for apologetics for other imperial systems. And there's, there's an aesthetic component. There's a sort of way of thinking about order uh, and us versus them and civilization versus barbarism involved. Um, and, and an element of hierarchy of, of an idea of natural authority and deference to that. Those are all motifs that you see in a lot of places, whether you're talking about, history culture or or present issues in some cases yeah <laughs> say the least we, we see a lot of groups now that kind of like use that 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 image imagery at least to kind of like move forward of it i mean we see people who are neo-nazis we see people who are like they really like the like you say they really like the roman stuff and kind of play on that and also it's a little much it's a little much, and it's very, basically the Aryan kind of stuff, the white supremacy sort of movement well, there's well, the country. I mean, so what, Rob, I'm actually looking right now at a, the, the Sword and the Shield, which is a book about the Soviet Union. It makes me think, you know, a lot of a lot of the, like, the Empire used the, that symbolism and, and the, the appeal of, of that, not only the sterile, you know, like, clean aspect of it, but also the symbolism. You know, the Empire has very defined strong imagery right you have the tie fighter you have the the massive wedge-shaped you know hulking imperial star destroyers which are very intimidating what do the rebels have they have these like bumpy ships you know and (laughs) these these ships you know these these bumpy you know sea cucumbers flying in space and then like these rusty x-wings yeah the x-wing it might be the one one thing within the within the rebel alliance that is iconic but even in it's like one of the one of the things that george lucas impressed upon you know the creators of the original star wars was he wanted to create a universe that was lived in so you look at you think about like the, how the x-wings look they're they're kind of beaten up they're kind of grayed whereas the empire for the most part is portrayed as very much you know strong well colored and these things these things have an aesthetic appeal well, I mean, I could argue that they that they were strong and they weren't yeah. powerful. I mean, that's the, the 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 whole. That's why they ruled for twenty years and it was impunity. Um, but but the, but the strength was often surface level. I think oh, is yeah. what he's getting at. And then well, it's like, well, yeah, but the, yeah. The, that I mean that that got at something interesting, Kevin. I mean, you you talked about the the idea of the Star Wars universe being lived in, whereas the the aesthetic of the Galactic Empire, and in some ways the aesthetic cultivated by by many empires in history is in certain strange ways, almost ahistorical. There will be sort of a, a callback to a great and glorious past that is carried forward in the current regime, but it's very flat and monolithic. And it sort of smooths out or glosses over all of the actual complexity or messiness of the the people, institutions, cultures, norms in power, and the actual history behind them, and I think that's a that's itself an interesting pattern, and maybe explains another layer of some of the apologetics uh, behind these both historical and fictional regimes in that 
it gives people a way to think about history itself as simpler and more orderly and more friendly to what they want the world to be than the chaotic messiness that history and the real world actually are and all that that forces us to confront. Yeah, um, so we're basically out of time. So unless somebody has something very quick to say, we'll wrap up. The Empire did a lot wrong. I think we covered <laughs> yeah. that earlier. Yeah, just to we be covered it. Yeah, I think it, was it did a few things right, and it did a whole lot wrong. It, yeah. it claimed to do a few things right, and it did a whole lot wrong. Yeah, I do still want a Star Destroyer for my birthday, by the way. Yeah, I, but like I, yeah. I maintain that position. I, you can throw throughout the rest of the Empire. I don't like the Empire, but yeah, I'm I waiting for a Star Destroyer. That would be fun. But, but so. they they're they're crewed with like forty thousand people. Like you'd never be able to find a quiet space. You know. Hey, well, Darth Vader had a meditation chamber. Yeah. <laughs> Rob with like just a, get a farm <laughs> somewhere out and so you can park that thing, and uh, there you go. All right. All right. Another reason why I need to move away from DC. I'd never find parking for that. Oh no. Not a chance. Definitely not. But uh, that was it was to medic. Thanks, guys. Thank May the you. force be with you. God. And with your spirit. <laughs> <laughs> and also with this is spirit. the way. <laughs>